On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we get deep with actors Keone Young and Mary McDonald Lewis, known for their roles as Storm Shadow and Lady J on the 80s animated series G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Plus, we break down all the latest Star Wars film and television news. Now, straight from the surprisingly comfortable control seat of the weather dominator at the Cobra Temple Base, this is 1.21 Gigawatts. Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 31 for August 2018. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. Finally, someone with the vision and guts to make a podcast about nerdy stuff. Where have you been my whole life? And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. Subscribe right now and never miss an episode. You guys, there has been so much Star Wars news lately, uh, beginning with San Diego Comic-Con at the end of July, stretching all the way to this very moment when I'm recording it's time to break it down. I can't do it by myself. I'm joined by the one, the only, the lovely, the talented, my betrothed in life and in all things, Lulu French. Hi. <laughs> That's the best intro I'm ever going to give you. I think it sums up everything, though. I don't know. It's a little too schmoopsy for me. <laughs> schmoopsy, schmoops. There it is. All right. So let's begin uh, in San Diego. Some of the stuff I probably told you, Lulu, and some uh, may be new to you. But this is a Star Wars household. Um, you are a part of that. You're shaking your heads, and which is good for podcasting, which means that you agree. And um, so we're going to begin with San Diego Comic-Con news. Dateline, San Diego, where there was a... Uh, a 10th anniversary of the Clone Wars uh, panel, and everyone thought, oh, how nice. That's not newsworthy, but that's cute that they're getting them all up there on stage. And then at the end of the panel, they announced a, an additional season of the Clone Wars animated series for the Disney streaming service. Um, 12 episodes, the place went nuts. And uh, I, I got to admit, I'm looking forward to that. I like that show. You watch some of that show with me. Yeah, it's uh, mostly for you and Scott, though, these days. Wouldn't you agree? Scott, our 13-year-old son <laughs> that you're comparing all my tastes and his. Yeah, so, you know, I watch some episodes every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, not as much as I used to. No, not as much as you used to. Um, right, there was a time that uh, you actually sat down and humored me on a, on a weekly basis, I think, and then that went away. Yeah, I was into it. Well, I, I watched it for a long time, and I am rarely with a, a series all the way to the end, so... Sure. That's true. Okay, well, tell <laughs> that to... Or I just made myself sound really lame. <laughs> tell, tell that to Orange is the New Black. Um, right, so 12 episodes for this new season. Uh, it will appear on uh, Disney streaming service whenever that comes along. Um, there is rumor mill that it will deal with the Siege of Mandalore storyline, if that means anything to you listening out there. Does that mean anything to you, Lulu? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, it does not. Mandalore? Sure. Yeah, right. with uh, Sabine. She's from Mandalore. Whoa. Whoa, Sabine from Star Wars Rebels. I'm not a complete idiot. <laughs> You're not an idiot at all. 
I'm going to add that to the next intro where you're lovely, talented, my betrothed, and also not an idiot, Lulu French. Um, all right. Well, that leads us to uh, another Star Wars, um, more Star Wars TV news, also for the streaming service that Disney has yet to announce any significant plans for. And that would be the live action TV show that John Favreau is in charge of running um, the ship on. And when I said John Favreau's name just now, your face made sort of a weird optimistic spasm. Yeah, because he's good. <laughs> okay. Sure. Sure. All right. Um, he's quality. He is quality. And it sounds like the show uh, might be quality as well, at least from a uh, production value standpoint, because the rumor mill, and this comes from like some sort of Disney earnings call, is that they're planning on spending $10 million per episode for 10 episodes, 10 episode season. That brings us to a grand total, Lulu, of... I'm just waiting for you to say what this is a season of. You haven't revealed to me the, what this the Star show Wars is. TV show, the Star Wars live action TV oh, I show. There'd be more to it. No, it's just a just a straight yeah, up Star we, Wars. We TV don't show. we don't know what it is yet. Oh, they, okay. They haven't announced what it is. All we oh, know. So it's just live action Star Wars. It's live action Star Wars on the Disney streaming service. John Favreau is in charge, and they're going to spend a hundred million dollars on ten episodes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's like Game of Thrones money. That's almost the most amount of money anyone has ever spent on television. Yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, now, do you think they're going to have like all original characters on the show? Well, thank you for saying that. That brings me to the rumor mill as to where this story might take place. And where do you think it might take place? If you were watching Star Wars TV, what would you like to see on that on Star Wars TV? What are, are we talking planets or in pla- sure. like, like Plan- locations? Well, I can tell you, I can tell you, era. We know that it takes place somewhere in between uh, Return of the Jedi and um, The Force Awakens. So we're in this period where, like, the Empire has fallen, I guess, and. Uh, the rebels are trying to craft a new government or something along those lines. Now, that doesn't mean it's about them, but that just means that that's the time period that we're sitting in. Okay. You know where it's supposed to take place or where the rumors? Mandalore. <laughs> oh, there it is again. There it is again. Is that too much Mandalore? You and the rumor mill, Brad. I don't, you're just cozying get, up to this rumor mill. I gotta mill get down to the mill. You're getting all kinds of information. Well, the mill's closing. Oh, <laughs> Billy Joel's going to sing a song about the mill closing, the rumor mill closing. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's true or not. Who knows? It's the internet, man. It's the internet. They say things. Um, here's something that we know is official. Now we're moving to the movie because episode nine has begun. It has begun shooting. August 1st was day one. It's happening. Um, and um, the internet's also told me, and this is official because it was on StarWars.com, he says while pushing up his glasses on his face, mm-hmm. um, that when they described episode nine, they said it was the final installment of the Skywalker saga, to which I say, gasp. What? I, Lulu, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with that. What, is that true? Is that real? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it can happen. Hold me. I'm scared. It's okay. It's okay, baby. It'll be all right. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. So, yeah, let's wrap it up. But, but, all right, but I don't believe them. I don't, I don't think that's really going to be true. 
Because obviously they're going to make a lot more movies. We I know that. I think that that will be their intention at this time. Mm, and then somewhere down the road, go. somebody's going to dig it up again. Someone is going to dig it up again. Because the other, like so far of the spinoff movies, like Rogue One made money. But it didn't make episode whatever the heck money. It didn't make main saga money. So I, I will admit my, my personal preference is for them to go off and do their spinoff movies or whatever for 10 years or something. And then 10 years down the line, say, episode 10, new trilogy. Um, they're going to get Poe. They're going to get Ray. They're going to get um, Boyega. They're going to get anyone who's still around. They're going to get BB-8 mm-hmm. out of retirement. He will have retired to uh, Cabo. Cabo. um and then and then like they do a new story with them and they will have aged and things will have happened but whatever sure all right point is uh, i also doesn't don't think that it sounds very good for kylo ren i don't think he's got good chances because he is the surviving member of the skywalker family and uh final installment he's the bad guy he's helped commit genocide doesn't look good sure we've made kylo ren predictions and yeah. yeah, I mean, going down is a really strong possibility for him. Yeah, I don't, I don't see this going well for for our boy Kylo, as much as we're big fans. Um, so I guess the only other thing to talk about. Adam in- Driver. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that was unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I felt inspired <laughs> to just sort of mangle his name and say it out loud. Adam Driver. <laughs> All right, yeah. so so Ed, yes, Adam Driver will be back. Um, all the new regulars will be back, uh, and so here are some new people. This was the exciting cast news. So we are adding Carrie Russell uh, to the cast. You know, I'm not a big Carrie Russell fan. I know. Sorry. I know. Please pardon us, podcastians out there. We don't watch The Americans. I hear it's a great show. And that she's great on it, but we don't watch it, so we don't have a lot yeah, of well, Carrie we Russell were exposure. Around when she did her first show, the big one, Felicity. Yes, Felicity, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> Carrie Russell will be joined in episode nine by um, a relative newcomer named Naomi Aki, a British actress. I think she was on Doctor Who. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to know who she is. And Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. He's great. Is great. Yeah, yeah, I really like him a lot. Um, I couldn't. Rem- I was having a hard time remembering movies that he was in until I looked at his IMDb, and then I like, oh, I've seen him in like fifteen movies. He's in everything. Mm-hmm. Can you can you remember stuff that he's in that you enjoyed? He uh, was also, of yes. course, in Doctor he Who. Was but in that so one more. with Uma Thurman about a Anius Nin or oh, what are oh, you that Lord. old one? That Henry like, and June. Yes, Henry and June. That's the one I was remember him that? from. Yes, 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 wow. yes. That's what kind of put him on the map for me. He, I guess he really was. Have you seen a movie called With Nail and I? Nah. Nah. Uh, He starred in that, and I guess that was his big break. I've never seen it either. But I forget early on, he was in, he was in like Gosford Park, Um, Mm -hmm. LA Story, and um, oh, geez, The Player with Robert Altman. Oh, wow. He's done so much good stuff. It hurts. At any rate, he's going to be awesome. And I would um, automatically think he's going to be a bad guy because he's British and he's got a, Bad right. guy face. Yeah. But then, like, if someone would have told me that Max von Sydow was going to play a good guy in Force Awakens for all of, like, the first seven minutes of the movie, I wouldn't have ever believed that. So who knows what he's going to be. You know who else is in this movie? Billy D. Williams. Oh, yeah, Lulu. Oh, yeah. 
Is that exciting to you as a Star Wars fan to think that that Lando is back, or do you feel like, eh, whatever at this point? Extremely exciting. Are is you it? kidding me? Really? It's awesome. All yes. Right, cool. Please, we're like originals. We're OGs, yeah. Star Wars OGs. So, you know, having back the original gang is uh, pff, always yeah. awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. Good. I'm excited to see him. I I really don't know. I can't decide if like they put him in because they're like, oh, geez, we need to figure something out. We, we've, we're sort of burning through all of our originals and we need that tie or if they have something good in mind for him. A little bit of both, probably. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the OG, also in the cast list, Carrie Fisher. Um, in a controversial question mark, I don't know, maneuver where they have said that they are going to utilize um, unused footage of her from Force Awakens. No mention of Last Jedi at all. Um, and I don't know if they're saying that because J.J., Abrams shot Force Awakens and he's shooting the new one, of course. So he's like, I know what dailies I had. I know what footage we didn't use and I can do it with her. And it still is like under my direction or whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that make you feel when you hear that? That it's going to be all like, here are takes that we did not use, um, but we're going to cobble together a performance that will unquestionably be the last Princess Leia that we see on screen. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, sad. Yeah. You know, as a viewer, um, I, I bet they're gonna do it masterfully, though. I, I think they're gonna be able to do it in a really organic way that makes sense and looks seamless. I, I, I doubt it'll be clunky. I think they'll do it. I think they'll do it justice. Do it. Yeah, I, I'm tempted to agree with you since everyone either thought, well, either A, they're going to digitally recreate her and then Lucasfilm and her family like immediately poo-pooed that and said like, nope, we're not going to do that. Um, or maybe they're going to recast and people like Meryl Streep will play her like, I don't know about that, but at least it'll give some closure to Leia's storyline and or like time passes and just in the opening crawl they say, uh, so... Leia is unavailable at this time or died or whatever. Yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, but I assume that means that uh, before they announced it, they probably poured through hours and hours and hours. Oh, to be a Lucasfilm intern then and watch (laughs) (laughs) all those scenes and say, all right, here's all the dialogue that she says that we could use. Um, I wonder if this means they're going to put her face on different outfits, though. Otherwise, she's just going to wear that same one outfit that she wore for like all of Force Awakens again. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, it's a cliffhanger then, isn't it? All right. That's all. Thank you, Lulu. Thank you for helping me break it all down. I did nothing. (laughs) You're welcome. I don't know about you, but hearing that theme song triggers a Pavlovian response in me. It makes the boyhood version of me want to grab a whole lot of plastic action figure soldiers with names like Duke and Snake Eyes and Gung Ho, arrange them on the living room rug and face off against the forces of Cobra. I'm talking about the brave men and women immortalized in the 1980s animated series G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. 
G.I. Joe was the high-tech military team with laser blasters and incredible-looking and very effectively merchandised vehicles, and they always had time to dispense safety lessons to kids. They did it all! At the Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown, New Jersey, I got to host a panel discussion with two of the voice actor stars of G.I. Joe, Keone Young, who played the white-clad Cobra Ninja fan favorite Storm Shadow, and Mary McDonald Lewis, who played Lady J, the female character with the most dialogue in the entire series. I know, you're thinking that certainly Scarlet or the Baroness were bigger characters than Lady J, but you'd be wrong! Lady J all the way! I'll admit, I'm not sure anyone in the audience had any clue about the direction this interview ultimately went in. I know I didn't. But I'm so grateful to Mary and Keone for the thoughtful, optimistic, socially conscious conversation that had us all hypnotized and close to tears. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for, for being here. I hope you're all having a great afternoon at the Garden State Comic Fest. <laughs> uh, my name is Brad Barton. I'm the host of the 1.21 Gigawatts podcast. Uh, when you're a kid, there are some pop culture properties that just merge with your DNA. Uh, I personally am a kid of the late 70s and, uh, and 1980s. That meant, of course, that I was obsessed with G.I. Joe as a kid. My wife watched G.I. Joe <laughs> as in her youth. I'm guessing that a lot of you were or are still G.I. Joe fans. So I'm very excited to introduce our guests. First is the woman who provided the voice and performance behind Lady J, the most prominent female character in G.I. Joe, <laughs> Mary McDonald Lewis. Give it up. Everybody. It's a pleasure and to be here. Sitting next to her is the man behind Storm Shadow, the ninja in white, and one of the most lethal and most interesting characters amongst the villainous forces of Cobra. Give it up for Keone Young. Yeah. You classy son of a gun. Um, you, you both have had such remarkable careers with, with lists of credits a mile long. We'll talk about as many of them as, as we've got a chance to. Uh, and about voiceover performance as well, because I think that there's uh, a lot of um, really interesting stories just being in the biz. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, we've got to start with G.I. Joe. I'd, I'd love to hear about how you landed on the voice for your respective characters, if you were shown drawings of what they looked like beforehand, if there was any sort of direction into certain character traits for them to say a little bit more this, a little bit more this, or, or what you, you concluded with, you came up with. Um, Keone, would you like to start with that? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm formulating your mind. Yes. I'm digesting whatever you're saying. Yes. It, Actually, it takes me longer because i got to retranslate it into my... <laughs> <laughs> Into Keone. Into Keone. Yeah, right. Um, so you go ahead, Mary, because I, I know you're quicker than I. I, I, I will. Uh, Keone and I have very different thought processes. Uh, I've got a little hummingbird or, or, or a rat on a on a wheel in run, my hands. That's exactly yeah. right. Keone has a, has an old wise man figuring things out <laughs> from the top of the mountain. Um, GI Joe. I was a young uh, actress, and. Um, was of two minds about doing a war cartoon to begin with because I can't remember what wars were playing out at that time, but there was war somewhere. And uh, I'm uh, generally a pacifist at heart, unless someone's hurting animals and then it all changes at that point. <laughs> but I was teaching ESL in Los Angeles as one of my jobs while I was coming up as a voice actor. I also was a newspaper delivery girl. I had a 25 mile route out in the valley 
and was an art model at, uh, at uh, uh, Otis Parsons, Art Center College of Design. Yes, sans clothes, for all of you who are wondering. Scandalous. Scandal. Um, so is cobbling my life together, right? As all actors have to do. And, but I loved, loved, loved teaching ESL. I taught thousands of immigrants uh, English, and that remains a passion of mine to this very day. Um, but this audition came up, and I'd already been Lois Lane on Super Friends, and uh, I was scared to ask permission to leave the classroom, so I snuck in a friend of mine to take over for just a couple of hours uh, while I ran off to the audition. Well, it was a popular audition. There was a line going around the block for this audition. And in those days, of course, most um, animated voices, easily 90% of, um, of animated voices lived in Los Angeles. Sure. And so everybody was there. <laughs> and what happened with me was the great Wally Burr, who, how many here have heard Wally speak at other Comic-Cons? Oh, lucky you. That's great, that's great. We know he's passed, but. What a gift he gave all of us, particularly when it comes to traveling around at these various cons through the years. What a, what a character. So I was called in for a minor role, and um, Wally heard something in me that I think he felt sounded strong and, and, um, and confident, uh, which translates to a lack of shame, basically, on my, <laughs> on my part. And uh, he kept asking me to be louder and more forceful. And again, I'm not, you know, I'm not shy. And so he kept asking me to yell, yo, Joe, over and over and over again. And I kept backing further and further away from the mic. And the next thing I know, I think that last yo, Joe must have done it because that's how I booked the role. And so from a very minor part that could have been in, the, in, the, uh, in, in one episode, yeah. in the origin story of, of this particular iteration, here's 32 years later, I'm still talking about my friend, Lady J. So that's my story. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So I, I love that a lot of the character formulated was just like, yeah, Mary, could you try one more time a bit more <laughs> just, manic? Just a bit more insane? Like that. <laughs> um, and then that's where, that's where this precious, uh, beloved character comes from. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Storm Shadow, a man of relatively fewer words. <laughs> well, you know, I, on the ha other hand, I, I was raised to do the voice of Storm Shadow because I, I'm a, a war child, so I was born right after World War II. Mm -hmm. That's how long I've been in. And because of that, my parents, it was really a booming time, and my parents were busy working. So I was raised by my grandparents, and my grandparents were immigrants, uh, immigrants from Asia, from Japan. And, um, and they influenced me a lot by telling me, not you know, I learned childhood stories about Tom, uh, Dick, and Jane mm -hmm. in school, but they would bring me home and teach me their childhood stories. Mm -hmm. And um, and I grew up with characters on the radio like, uh, you probably never heard of, well, Hopalong Cassidy, but mm -hmm. Jack Armstrong. Mm -hmm. Jack all Armstrong, all-American boy, <laughs> come out on the radio every day to fight Japs. Well, I was wow. Japanese, so uh, I was always looking for my heroes, but my grandparents were great in that they taught me about our heroes, and that's what I aspired to be, and that's what Storm Shadow comes from. Uh, Storm Shadow comes from, you know, the samurai warrior class from my culture. And so I, I was, you know, I, I learned 
uh, Dick and Jane and the American, the American uh, spectrum of, of child stories, but I was also fortunate enough to learn the children's story about, um, uh, from Asia. And I always wanted to bring that culture and be able to articulate it to people because I love my grandparents so much mm. that I wanted them to understand that they were good people too, that they weren't Japs, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that they were Americans, mm -hmm. and that, but they came from a different culture. So Storm Shadow for me was, was great because I spoke English, but yet I was Asian. <laughs> and I had this, not, and it wasn't mysterious to me, it was a story about my grandparents mm. and the stoicism of how they had to deal with life in America at that time, mm -hmm. which was really, really hard. They really worked hard for me. And uh, I wanted to bring that culture out. And during the time when we were doing G.I. Joe, uh, that was a period of a lot of uh, conflict and, and contradiction in our society. If you remember, there's a time of the civil rights and the Vietnam War. And so Joe kind of like reflected, you know, the issues of society, whereas you had Hanna-Barbera, everybody was talking like animals. You know, dogs and cats who were talking in English. These were like people who were fighting the evil enemy and fighting the contradictions within themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what, you know, I couldn't, people like Mary and then the other characters like Frank Welker and Michael Bell, they were really skilled. And I thought, well, how could I contribute? Well, I wanted to, I said, I, nobody can do me better than me. <laughs> nobody can do my parent, my grandparents better than me. <laughs> they can be great as characters, but I can be great as a specific concept. <laughs> and so that's what Storm Shadow came out of. <laughs> and instead of it being a literate description of the character, it became more of a, uh, what do you call, a kinetic mm -hmm. thing that I could bring. Mm -hmm. uh, not, uh, I would, you know, in, in the English language, it's very literate. It, it, you know, it comes from Europe, and it's a very literate society where they explain everything. Well, Storm Shadow would explain something maybe in a sound, like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh? <laughs> you know, which which would be more like, and I could bring that kinetic energy to the show, which during that period was really, really uh, significant mm -hmm. because you had people like Martin Luther King making speech was uh, free at last, free at last, thank God almighty free at last. It was like, it was not only the words, but mm -hmm. it was the sound that went along with mm -hmm. it. And during that period, we had great music. We had the Beatles. You know, we had um, the blues that came mm -hmm. out from, like, from Chicago, Muddy Waters. You know, and, uh, and sound was just as important as words. Mm -hmm. So I, I think G.I. Joe was great because Yo Joe is not literally, you can't define it, you know, but you <laughs> knew its meaning, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that touched a lot of people growing up in America at that time too, yeah. who weren't, who were not so interested in verbalizing and intellectually 
argue, debating, but fighting with spirit. And so I think uh, Storm Shadow kind of combined, yeah. you know, it may, brought it to fruition for a lot of people. And like, you know, I, I love, I love the uh, Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote, <laughs> but, but I think G.I. Joe had a lot of more significance to young, probably more than young men, I guess, you know, young, young guys mm -hmm. at that time, mm -hmm. had more significance and had more meaning mm -hmm. in that sense. Told you there was an old wise man yeah, in his head. <laughs> right. Say, if you've got answers like that to every question, you can take all the time you need. To do that. that was gorgeous. One one thing I want to point out that I think is important and uh, uh, ties in with what you were saying, Keone, is that Wally Burr did something mm -hmm. different, right, uh, when it came to his casting choices from what uh, ca most casting directors and most mm -hmm. directors and most pr production companies were doing at that time, and that is. He didn't cast white actors to play non-white roles. Yeah. And this uh, only recently has that come to the fore. Yeah. And this was 30 years ago. Yeah. And Wally was Wally Burr was the youngest tank commander in the U.S. Army, as we know, 17 years old. He was commanding a tank, lied to get into the military, <laughs> and so he was a military man. And regardless of where he was raised, and I don't know where he was raised, he was exposed to people from all over the world, and he gave us that gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we were talking a second ago about uh, about the act of, of screaming "Yo, Joe" and what, what that means. How often? How often that happens? That, of course, is one of the trademark elements of the GI Joe cartoons: the sheer amount of battle cries throughout. Um, like really frequently, needless to say, uh, and not always running into battle. They that could be like wrapping up an internal staff meeting and you know, yo Joe, we did it. Um, we want to make a point at the office water cooler, yo Joe, Cobra. Great. Um, here in New Jersey, I think we should probably do that when we're trying to make left turns. We should yes. Cobra, and then make that happen. Can can either of you estimate the amount of times that you feel like you recorded some version of yo? Joe or Cobra, along those lines. You remember how many episodes we did? No, I didn't do as many as. as I mean, in total, did. though. I did yeah. 53, but the show itself ran for 80, 80 some odd it was episodes. Something like yeah. That. 80 some odd episodes, so it has to be twice an episode. <laughs> At least, yeah. So that's 160 times, but we've easily yeah. done it a thousand times since then. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I've, I've heard your voice singing out among the, the crowd here. Yes, even. exactly. God bless you for that. Um, so so G.I. Joe is a product of the 80s in, in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, in preparation for talking with you two, I was recently re-watching some really early Rise of Cobra series, like a little mini-series that oh, sort yeah. of kicked things off. Um, and was really surprised that almost immediately after Lady J is introduced to the character Shipwreck, He's kind of hitting on her, like immediately. <laughs> she, she met Lady J. Sort of sidesteps it pretty quickly before yes. you know the kids watching at home start to catch on. Like, what's happening right now? <laughs> Wait, what? Um, but but it was definitely the sort of thing that's a, that's an easy uh, HR violation on the mid <laughs> GI Joe team now. Yeah. Were, were there ever lines of dialogue for either of you that that you would come across, especially as you lived with the characters a little bit longer and mm -hmm. felt uh, closer to them yourselves? Were there ever lines of dialogue with GI Joe, or, or maybe? even other projects that, that gave you pause that you thought like, are you sure that you want me to say this either because it's not quite what the character is or yeah. because there was something, I mean, Keone, you're talking certainly about cultural sensitivity that you're like, I, 
I wonder if there's a different way that we can come to this sure. idea. Yeah. Sure. I think you've got some What's strong opinions about that. <laughs> you know how you were talking to me yesterday at dinner Just about the answer. It's going to be so good. About um, approaching a production and saying that's not how it would be said, or that's not actual Hawaiian behavior uh, uh. culturally. And and so the question is, you know, what kinds of conversations have you had with production, uh. where you've had to, and how and how have you navigated that and kind of. Well, all I can say is, like, it's like how I look at life, you know. Um, we have a saying, when looking south, go the other way and look north, mm -hmm. you know. When looking east, go and look, stand on, on the east and look west. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there, people, and in our society today, we seem to l look at things uh, in a in, in one plus one is two, but I don't know. I was always brought up to look at one plus one is maybe two and a half or three, mm -hmm. and children think like that, mm -hmm. you know, because you try and reason with them, and they like, no, it's no, it's not that way, and so I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but uh, when I was with when I was was studying performing, and and this was so when I was doing Joe. Uh, I, I always looked at it that I always looked at it in an in a inverted way instead of mm -hmm. an outward way. I always tried to look at it different because I wanted to, all, you know, when, I'll tell you something about G.I. Joe. A lot of these guys that I work with, they were really proficient. They were really skilled. And I wasn't. I was really raw. I was young, beginning. <laughs> and so I was always listening to them and trying to learn from them. And uh, how could I be as good as they were? And but yet at the same time, how could I be more different? Mm -hmm. How could I? In, and and it's in any way you go in life, it's like, okay, you meet a girl, and you say, I like her, but how can I make her like me? <laughs> <laughs> what can I do to make her love me? And so that was always my, you know, my mm -hmm. my situation. I was always looking at, God, they're so good but how can I be as good? Mm -hmm. And then how can I be better? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think we all learn from each other on that show, right? Oh. Because we were together for so many hours when yes. we were working on these things. These, you know, shows ordinarily take 23 minutes to do the first read through, and about an hour to record, and then maybe 15 minutes for pickups at the end, <laughs> little, to fix little mistakes <laughs> and so forth. Uh, G.I. Joe would take six hours to record. It was <laughs> nuts, Man. it was nuts. I, I, I love kind of the distinctions between us because I um, work as a dialect coach also. Yeah. And so in my world, I have to uh, be extremely precise with the notion of language. And when I am working as, as Lady J, I liked everything she had to say because she was strong and brave, you know. Yeah. She really paralleled who I was a lot, right? Um, but there are things that are said, things that are written, in other projects that I work on that are offensive to me. And I know Keone's encountered that as well. And, um, and so it's been my job as the employee to go to my bosses and say, okay, see, you, everybody else in this play has a name except for the two non-white characters. Why don't they have names? Why are they character number one and character number two? Well, we don't know what their names are. 
then I go on the internet and find out what their names are. It's a play that takes place in actual history. Also recently, I've been working with um, playwrights who, for some reason, feel like they can use the, the R word, and I think we all know what the R word is, in their, in their uh, writing. And I've been uh, um, very active in um, causing change in that area. And in that case, in the case of the use of the R word, I don't care if they fire me. Mm. Because I just, I won't allow it. So, sometimes you have to give, 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 give. On, on Grimm, as I yeah. had an on-camera role on that show, but also was the dialect coach, so the series dialect coach, so I was with it through the entire series. I'd write production and I'd say, so if you'd like the correct version of what it is you're doing, um, this is what it is. And sometimes they'd say, great, use that, use that. <laughs> Fine, yeah, use the correct one. That's a great idea, boss. Uh, <laughs> other times they'd be like, it's for a joke. And I'd be like, copy that, copy that. There's, there's, there's a fair amount of hills that I would die on, but there are more hills that I wouldn't die on. Sure. You know? yeah, I, I totally, totally understand. There are a, a lot of words that start with a lot of letters out there, that, yeah. so we all need to be retraining ourselves, I think, as, Absolutely. as a people to like, you know what, we can back away from this and we, well, need, we can walk east and look west. That's, that's right. To, uh, and I'll tell you exactly what I did with that R word. My sister is developmentally delayed. She's 18 months older than me, mm. and uh, I'm her executor. Uh, she was married for 40 years to a gentleman who was developmentally delayed. They met in a sheltered workshop and had a 40-year marriage, just true love. Um, he passed, and, and, uh, and now she's on my watch, and that's fantastic. I taped a phone conversation with her where I literally asked her, how do you feel when that word is used? And how do you, how do you feel when you see it in movies or on television? And so I have this beautiful video of my sister talking on the phone with me on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube, actually, on Mary McDonald Lewis's YouTube channel. And, um, so I'm not, I'm not standing still for it. Sure. And I think if each of us chooses an area, or two, or three, where we're willing to, uh, uh, to fight for kindness, if that's not a contradiction, right. <laughs> we could all move the ball a little further down the field. Yeah. Is this boring? <laughs> okay, you guys okay? I, okay. Um, uh, I do want to open it up, yes, to, to questions from the esteemed crowd. Uh, <coughs> although I've got so much I want to talk about, but TikTok, it's going to happen. And I saw your hand first way in the back. Yes, yes. sir. Hi. You talk about, and you've had long, wonderful careers, but you talk about what we deal with as far as, you know, issues for PC, I think, gets abused. But do you think we're making progress in not just, you know, cartoon voiceover world, but also in, um, you know, all productions? Do you think it's getting better even when we have a nation where it seems to be back it's a great question. Yeah. Not as good as technology. I think t technology is <coughs> rapidly advancing. Um, and in that sense, it's getting far better. But still, we need to learn how to, I think, be open and communicate. I don't think we are there yet. And um, we might have the terminology. And we might have like what you say, political correctness and how that is defined by certain people. But I really don't know if we do, if we're there yet, you know? For one thing, uh, for one thing, I think 
the concept of the business has to really be questioned, you know. And I think they're doing that in small communities all nationally. But on a, on a big scale of things, to me, the Star Wars films today are not even as good as what we had in the 50s and 60s in the terms of the artistic, you know, uh, concept of uh, 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 philosophy or philosophy. Yeah, the morality of, of it. Of is the morality, right, mm -hmm. that's a great way. Or the humanity of certain films. You know, and I wonder if because technology is advancing so far that people are more enamored with technology as opposed to humanity. So I question that, you know. But there are still people doing some great things. It's just that technology is so far advanced it pushes that aside, you know. If a movie doesn't make what, the, the last Star Wars was considered a failure. But if any other movie made that kind of money, we'd be like, what? I mean, what is going to satisfy you? You know, what should satisfy us as people? Mm. You know. So, so then, to the point to your question, then in a way that that we all that as a people are almost so consumed with the next, the next, the next, the next, the next, mm -hmm. and and technology assisting that addiction <clears throat> in a way that we're not slowing down in a way to. You know, well, like our to brains, simplify to be nice to each other for crying out loud. Like our brains are going far ahead, but I don't know if our hearts can, our, our hearts need to catch up. And, and what I would say is, uh, I hear uh, the the plaintive sound of your question and the worry behind your question. My motto is: Tell a story, save the world. And what I believe, what gets me out of bed uh, uh, in the morning, are my two dogs that need to be walked. But quite separate <laughs> from that. Uh, is is the fact that um, my job is not to try to save the world. Uh, my job is not to save the world. My job is to try to save the world. And I think these little kindnesses that we can do, um, they all add up, you know, and there's so much altruism and heroism in the world. Anytime there's an accident, you see people running toward the explosion. You see people stepping into the icy waters to pull that car out. We are all actually superheroes. We are. It's just that sometimes the villains have louder voices, and remember, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. B bad stuff gets uh, uh, put out in the public. Amplified. Amplified for the purposes of selling papers and keeping the populace frightened and sad. But if we, in our own lives, just, t just take charge of that, I think, in the smallest of ways, keep each of, that'll keep all of us walking forward. I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be trying no matter how. You know what I mean? Um, and I do think that we are seeing better stories, as Keone says. We are seeing better stories. Certainly on the theater side, I can tell you without the shadow of a doubt, the stuff that's coming up on stages all across America now is ten times more diverse, at the, and 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 is at the heart of theater missions all across the country. So we're getting there when it comes to that. You know, we see Hamilton, for God's sakes. Would we have seen Hamilton 10 years ago? You know, that's something that I think has changed a great sure. deal. For sure. Um, yes, sir. Two questions. One, can I hear you say Yojo? <laughs> and one, can I hear you say Cobra? And what say is your favorite episode that you did of Jimmy Joe? The inevitable requests for blowing out your cords, yes. Um, you get, you get <laughs> to, and favorite episodes. You get yeah. to hear the calls at the end of the session, of course, <laughs> as always. Okay. And I like the episode where 
Flint and I are being so awkward with each other in the aquadome that's kind of taking us up out of the out of the ocean. I think that's so cute and so sweet. Uh, Billy Ratner is a longtime friend of mine. We were friends before G.I. Joe, and we've been friends ever since. So we've, we're friends of 35 years. Uh, as I like to describe it, we are in each other's kitchen. Mm -hmm. When he comes to Portland, his family, he and his family, they stay with me. When I go to L.A., I stay at Billy's house. So we have a very sweet relationship, and that's why that's my favorite episode. That's great. Keone, do you have a, do you have a favorite episode? No, because, you, you know, I didn't see Joe, and like, as... Uh, I, I didn't watch Joe as a receptacle. I was Joe as a, a participant. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was like a f great big family. <laughs> you know, so it was a continuous thing that was happening all the time. Yeah. So I can tell you, I don't know about my favorite episodes, but I can tell you my favorite moments with different people in the show. You know, like when I met like with Rob Paulson and Corey Burton, they were young actors yes. at the time, young, and they didn't know where their lives were going. <laughs> and me too, and I was with them. We were young men. We were in the whole Hollywood uh, group trying to find our way. And we didn't know if we would make a living doing this. So I, those are the moments that were so wonderful. Mm -hmm meeting a young Rob Paulson and a young Corey Burton, and then working with a master like Frank Welker, you come to the studio and you like just be mesmerized with their work and just have the kind of, uh, the kind of um, stimulus that as a young actor, you know, this was your life, this was going to be your life. And you were on the road and you would do Cobra, you know, you know. That that's what. Free. That's what. What it was. It's not something that you can ask me to do. It's a, something that I lived, you know. Because some days we wouldn't work, and you know we wouldn't have any pay, and we would come in, and we would want to kill someone. <laughs> so this is what I can tell you. He's living about, it right now. I can tell you about. And when I say to you, I did not kill your father, <laughs> you know, it was some kind of fraternity that I had with the yeah. people. That was so important to me and learning from these masters, yeah. you know. We got lucky. Yeah, we, we, we were very lucky because Indeed. we got to continuously be, be with each other for many for a, a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And to work with a, 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 I don't know if I can say great, but a really a, a, a sensational person like Wally Burr, <laughs> who was unique in his own way. He was the director and the boss, I would say, <laughs> you know. And uh, to work with somebody like that, uh, it w uh, those had more meaning to me than each individual story. You know, yeah. I can tell you about like working with Kenny Holiday. Uh, what character did you do, Chris? He was Roadblock, and I, I knew Kenny from New York off-Broadway, and he was struggling as a young actor, and he was one of the first black actors that mm -hmm. had any recognition in New York. And he just made me cry watching him perform on stage because I knew what he was doing. And so, you know, I knew what the struggle behind him that he had in order to become a lead actor on off-Broadway. Not even on Broadway. They wouldn't let him on Broadway yet. 
he was doing off-Broadway. And we came up during that time, you know. So those are the more important things to me than the story or the episode. It was like we were family. Mm -hmm. And one side of us would be Cobra, the other side would be the Joes. You know? <laughs> you know, we were with Arthur, Arthur Berghardt and Chris, Chris Latta. Chris, over and they were with Michael Bell, you know? <laughs> and so, like, they sat on one side of the table, we sat oh, on the other. Oh, You know? Huh? That's great. Right, mm -hmm. right. And, we, and it was a wonderful experience. That I can share that with you. <laughs> you know? That's what I can share with you. That's what Joe, G.I. Joe was about, and that's what Cobra, you know? We had our <laughs> brothers and sisters and our enemies, you know. <laughs> do, you, do you find, I, I, I think it's wonderful to hear so many stories about, uh, about the, the experience of just going through the process and the family that emerged as a result. Mm -hmm. Do you, or have you found that same feeling on other um, animated projects? Uh, I, I mean, there are so mm -hmm. many wonderful professionals out there and so many that are probably a little sketchy in some mm -hmm. cases. Um, and, and this is, I'm partially steering this in a little way, uh, Keone specifically, that we've been talking about Star Wars a little bit, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a big Star Wars Rebels nerd, and you were on uh, that show as, as Commander Sato for a little while. Uh, if the experience working, say, uh, with you know, folks like Dave Filoni in Lucasfilm Animation, if that's uh, a rewarding experience, or if it's different because you were all like in the trenches at the same time mm -hmm. as, as younger actors. Well, you know, as I said before about technology, with technology comes corporate structure. So, and, and that's really rough to balance the line, you know, like corporate economy versus, you know, culture and, and artistic intent. And you always gotta balance that. And I come from the generation, we, we, didn't, we didn't balance that, we, you know. I come from uh, like Lee Strasberg and the Europeans like Grotowski and Antonin Artaud who rebelled against corporate structure. So if you're working for Disney, <laughs> you're working for a corporation. <laughs> you gotta do it Disney's way or you don't do it any other way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like for like guys like Filoni and the guys who do, do all the Star Wars stuff, they're working for Disney. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you say, that's, you, you're working for people with suits. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and that's why when Mary says about the theater, yeah, because in the theater you don't have that. And when we did Joe, we were doing with Sunbo, but Sunbo never—I never met anybody from Sunbo. Mm -hmm. Did you? No, no. They no. would never come down and tell us what to do. We did it on a daily basis, and and uh, they were simply happy with the product. Mm -hmm. but nowadays, they're not happy with the product unless it reaches a certain uh, corporate standard. So I question that. It, you know, I, I love the people at, um, at, at, at uh, Star Wars, the Lucas is, uh, they're wonderful, beautiful, kind people, but they still have to work within a corporate structure. So, so then... Well, as like with G.I. Joe, we were like, we didn't have that corporate yeah. sure, over us. Sure. We, were, we were kind of more free mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So th is that inherently in, in your mind, is that a bad thing? Or is it more like, I feel bad for the folks like Filoni or whatever who are... No, I don't feel bad like for Filoni. Well, no, I don't feel bad for him. In, in that, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll clarify that, that he's someone, an example of someone, and probably there's there's lots of these folks that have one one 
foot handily in the artistic world because they get to deal with with you guys and the voice performances and really sort of pull out the art and mm -hmm. uh, work with the team, but then have have a foot on the other hand, like, and now I've got a meeting with someone very important, mm -hmm. and let me straighten my tie and gulp. I hope this goes well. Mm -hmm. um, which is sort of a tricky position, I would think, to be in for, for some Absolutely. of those folks, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I did Deadwood for, for three years, and, and Deadwood got canceled like that. And people yeah. wonder why. People say, why was Deadwood canceled? This is stupid. It was the best show on TV. Well, because the corporation couldn't handle it anymore. They didn't want to be dictated to by the artistic side. Mm -hmm. And it was ruled by one man, the creator. And he said, no, I can't work that way. I can't work, you know. I, I, we did, we're shooting episode five, and he said, you know what, that episode one we did a couple months ago, I gotta reshoot it, a scene from that, because it doesn't make sense now. And corporate says, well, you know, that costs a lot of money, Dave. <laughs> you know, we gotta get the costumes, the actors back, the sets and everything. And so, but he says, but it, it, it'll make better sense if we do it this yeah. way. It'll be more honest, more true. And if you know about Deadwood, Deadwood's attempt was trying to be honest all the time and true. And that took precedence over the particulars, you know. Mm -hmm. Sure. The bottom so, line. So, I mean, I don't know. Anybody think that Des Star Wars shouldn't have been sold to Disney? I think they shouldn't. What? Mm -hmm. What? You guys think they should? I don't think they should. He thinks they, sh they think they should not have. No. They agree they with you. I, you agree with me, right? They should have never. I don't I think so. I don't think it should have been sold. I think they should have, like, George should have just done his own thing. But now he can't. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, we could roll this into a whole other panel. <laughs> <laughs> I've got but I know you guys have feelings me. about that too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They do. Right? <laughs> right? You guys sure. have feelings about that too, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Because that's that's what it means to be a fan of this stuff, right? And I know right. that especially with, with Star Wars out there, holy smokes, it is a crazy place in the internet right now for, mm -hmm. for Star Wars. Um, but but that could translate for so so many different fandoms, and um, you know not to get too ah about it. But that's the whole reason that we're all here and we're we're in this room and right. walking around a rink, uh, you know, talking to all these people that we're that we're so excited about, and, and you too, and we're so lucky for that. Um, uh, one more question there in the back. I know we're we're running out of time. Yes, sir. Um, so, GI Joe, it, it's had multiple incarnations, I believe, mm -hmm. and uh, if it were to get another. Reincarnation were to come out in modern day, would you take back up your role, and how do you think it would take another direction? Well, yeah. if if uh, GI Joe were created again today, I would have to audition for Lady J because all of us would have to audition for our roles because uh, there's a very reasonable question around what's happened to your voice in the meantime, mm -hmm. right? Can you still bring it? It's a reasonable question. So, uh, once I won that audition, <laughs> got my role back, yes, um, uh, how would it have changed? It would be, uh, unfortunately, it would be racier, which I wouldn't approve of, because I think it's much more important to have it not be so gendered, just have it be the, like we were, a, a, you know, a military family, a military team. And I think that the, um, uh, women would probably be more fetishized, meaning uh, you'd see more cleavage and, and such because that's what's happened to female superheroes, which I also don't approve of. Uh, let's circle back. I made my living having my clothes off, so it's clearly not about that. Uh, it's, it's about uh, ob the objectification of women, which has been on the rise for 
many, many years, unfortunately. And it's, um, it is, in actual fact, a response to women's rising uh, power and influence in our culture. So there's an opposite rise that seeks to, you know, put that down. I would advise all of you men to allow us, out, allow us to rise up because we're going to save your ass after all this trouble you've put us in. I love you. I, I do. I love all of you. Um, so that would be the difference that I would see based on what I see around us in terms of the pop culture. But I would, I would return to Lady J in a heartbeat because I could be young and strong again, you know? I don't, I don't know if they should do G.I. Joe again because... Uh, no, wait. I, Wait a minute. Let me, He's making an offer. No, no. <laughs> this is a young I, I, I see the cashier's check. No, no, but what I think that the following G.I. Joes, and I've worked on them, I, you know, I did, I got old and I had to play Storm Shadow's father. Oh, the hard master. interesting. The hard master. So, uh, I don't, but I don't think, and I've never seen a G.I. Joe movie all the way through because I watch 10 minutes and I go, that's another thing. And it's like, and it's like, I don't think you can do G.I. Joe again because it's like, you know the New York Yankees doing the mantle, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris? You can't bring that back. And that was, to me, real, with Pete Rose and those guys, that was real baseball. <laughs> Today, eh, it's, they're good. They're great. They're, you know, uh, technology, uh, sports psychology and sports uh, physicality. They're wonderful. They could do great things, but they could never be Mickey Mantle or... Uh, or or Maris, or you know, or uh, Thurman Munson. Uh, I, I'm sorry, those were like baseball players. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like the GI Joe I see today, they're they're pretty, they're wonderfully, they got great bodies, but uh, they were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they chopped liver sitting right here. No, they should do something else. You know. I can play that part too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you agree, but maybe I'm too old or old school, you know, but old school is what G.I. Joe is. We're glad to yeah. see young, young folks still enjoying the show. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. I, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for your time as, as uh, I, I could go on for three more hours. I've got so many questions. Yeah. And we'll um, be at the booth if you want yes, to stop by yes, later. Yes, please do. If, uh, this is a taste of the awesomeness of, of these two, so for crying out loud, go on over and visit them. Um, I, uh, I promise you I will never be able to uh, hear someone scream Yojo or Cobra again and not have all of this come through. Um, I think that uh, we have covered a lot of really important social issues, which is great. A lot of my Sorry. questions were about that. No, no, I, not at all. Um, I think that it's important. Uh, on behalf of all of you, I would like to thank you and say, now I know. And knowing is half the... <laughs> That's really all I wanted to say. That was a long-winded way of getting her to say knowing is half the battle. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Keone Young and Mary McDonald Lewis. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. are not getting out of here so easy. Huh? So, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to uh, give you a little Yojo tutorial. Oh, good. And then, and, and then I want you to pay particular attention to, the way to do it perfectly is to pay particular attention. There's a little funny little yodel at the front end of it, isn't there? Yes. So I'm going to do it once, and then because we're all Joes and Cobras, uh, I'm going to invite all of you for the, for the second Yojo, okay? So, and that, that Joe, note how that Joe kind of extends at the end, all right? So I'm going to do it, and then you guys are going to join me, okay? You ready? Bravo!
Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're very welcome indeed. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests Keone Young and Mary McDonald Lewis. If you want to hear about the further adventures of these two, both of them can be found and followed on Facebook. Thanks also to the awesome folks at the Garden State Comic Fest who brought me in to moderate this amazing conversation, Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo. Thanks also to Chris Arsaga at CelebWorks for the incredible access to his clients, Keone and Mary, and Eric Belomo for the on-site audio recording assist. And thanks as well to Lulu French for talking into a microphone with me about Star Wars. You know, and all the other stuff that makes my life better because you're in it. Thanks, Lulu. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? And what deserves to burn up on re-entry like a Space Force announcement press event? You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Gigawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Gigawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. I don't know if you're aware of this, but every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section at the iTunes Store. It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. You know what I'd really appreciate? Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good review, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show because that's how computer algorithms work. And someone just did that very thing. Johnny Fido threw five stars our way and wrote the following awesome podcast. Brad is a fantastic host who gets great interviews and info from all the geek powerhouses. No matter which spoke of the geek wheel you're into, comic books, movies, television, events, Brad will be able to tell you something that will surprise you. And if you're not careful, you just might learn something. Johnny Fido! John, I love that so much. I'll even allow the Bill Cosby Fat Albert reference at the end. And I love the metaphor of spokes on the geek wheel. That's awesome. I'm going to put some Flash Gordon trading cards in the spokes of those wheels and drive down the street making a mighty nerd racket. You're good people, John. Thank you. As for the rest of you, if you're not an iTunes user, you can also find us by searching for 1.21 Geekwatts at SoundCloud.com or on Player FM. You found us on one of those platforms, so congratulations, good work. Browse the episodes listed there and check out another one. I will even make you a recommendation. If you enjoyed this chat with these voiceover rock stars, be sure to check out my conversation with another shining star of 1980s animation, Kathy Garver. She played Firestar on the awesome 80s cartoon Spider-Man and his amazing friends and has some terrific stories about that gig as well as her work on projects like Family Affair and, oh, I don't know, The Ten Commandments. Yes, that Ten Commandments. She's in it. That's episode number 16 of 1.21 Gigawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. 
Huge gratitude to the Reverend of the Reverb, composer and my co-producer David Cisco. You are and remain the best, Cisco. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc., all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago, and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome with our rad-tastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. 1.21 gigawatts Whatever geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad You might meet Luke and Leia's dad Pop culture that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad He'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Come rescue me! Storm Shadow!